We are so glad that you are here. Happy New Year as we are excited uh, for the year ahead as a church. We also wanted to take just a moment this morning and celebrate what God did in 2018. It was an incredible, incredible year, not only for all of our campuses, being that we're one church, multiple locations, as you saw there uh, in that video, but also locally here for us as a community. Whether this is your first time here or your hundredth time, you've been here for 10 years uh, since the very start, 2018 was an incredible year for us locally here, growing deep uh, and wide as well. I pray that you feel caught up in that. Whether, whether you're down here, whether you're back there, whether you're upstairs, wherever you are, I pray that you feel a part of that. You're not an anonymous spectator here this morning. When we say we believe it's no accident that you are here, we mean that. And that everything and all the things that God is doing, you are a part of that. And I pray that you feel that. And I pray that you're in the game and not on the sideline this morning. It's been an incredible year growing, growing deep here in our discipleship and our love for each other. We have more life groups, men's, women's, and couples, uh, small groups going on during the week here at Hope Des Moines than we've ever had before. Men's groups, women's groups. Uh, we had close to 90 people baptized just in the last year here. So praise God for that. That is awesome. Uh, and what God is doing. As, as you look at some of that, believe it or not, last June we celebrated, if you were around, our 10th anniversary as a campus. We had a big old party uh, in the parking lot, uh, and it was a lot of fun. And also the, the physical growth of our campus uh, as well. Uh, some of you, there's about 30 of you that are sitting over there right now where about a month ago there used to be a wall, and you have a much better view now than if a wall was in front of you. So that's good. Uh, we're excited about that, a brand new stage that I'm staying on, and in a couple months, we will close on the building directly to our north as we gave generously during the month of November during our Building to a Hope Beyond campaign, and we will be hopefully in there at some point in 2019. So we're excited about that and all that God is doing, growing both deep and wide. So it has been an incredible, life-changing year in 2018, and I believe, because we worship a risen Savior who is alive, that the best is yet to come. Amen? The best is yet to come. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, the best is yet to come. Tell them that right now. <laughs> best is yet to come. We're excited about that. But here's the thing. Life, life moves pretty fast, and if you don't slow down and celebrate once in a while, you're going to miss it, and you're going to skip over those most important points. And I hope that you've had a chance to do that this time of year, Christmas and New Year's. People get a little nostalgic, and hopefully over the last few weeks, you had a chance to do that, to not only look back, but also to look Forward. My wife Tiffany and I have kind of been doing this new thing the last couple years where we do kind of a family meeting and we do an annual uh, meeting. And, and if you're, you're married, if you have kids, even with your spouse, would you just do it. I would encourage you to do that, to look back and celebrate what God has done, but also look ahead and say, we're going to put the most important things for our year ahead in our calendar now, right? Because you schedule what's most important. And you put that in. When am I going to spend time with God? We're going to worship weekly. What's going to be my service? When are my kids going to go to Hope Kids? When are we going to have date night if you're married? Whatever it is. How are we going to spend time together as a family? How am I going to intentionally put God at the center of every single day of my life? And I don't know about you, but sometimes when we look back, the tendency is to get a little down, to get a little depressed. And maybe for some of you, it was a really difficult year. In 2018, you're like, I am so ready to be done with that. I'm ready for a new year. Others, it was the best year of your life. You had a baby. You got married. Something amazing happened at work, whatever it was. And don't get me wrong. As we look back on our year, there were some hard moments. And I'm guessing maybe there were some hard moments for you as well. But one of the, power of the, the powers of perspective is that we kind of look back. And so often, we, we just see the stare in front of us. But when we take a step back and take the long view, we're able to see the whole staircase. You know what I mean? And we get some perspective and we see God's 
faithfulness. And it's God's faithfulness, not the circumstances of our lives that propels us into the new year, our own self-confidence. No, it's the faithfulness and the goodness of God, even in those difficult times, that gives us confidence. The word confidence, did you know this, literally means to walk with faith, to have faith, confide, to walk, have with faith. That's what it means to be confident. It's not something that, that's in ourselves. It's faith in something else. And so no matter what you're facing today, no matter what is going on in our nation or our world, so many people are just freaking out. What's going to happen, right? And remember, what's going to come, what's going to happen this year, right? What's going to happen uh, that's going to come my way? I believe because we serve a risen Savior, because we serve a God that is in control, God is already in control of 2019. Amen. He's already in control. So either we believe that God has the power to change our hearts, to change lives, including our own, whatever you're up against today, or he doesn't. Because the truth is, it is dangerous when we underestimate somebody's power. To give you a little idea of that on a much smaller scale, my five-year-old son Caleb and I were uh, playing around the other week, and we were you know, tickling and wrestling and giggling a little bit about that. And he's a boy, so he just loves wrestling. And so we start wrestling, and then he just stops in this moment and gets all serious. And he goes, <laughs> he gets this really serious look on his face, and he goes, Dad, I'm pretty sure that if we were fighting, and if we were really, really wrestling, I would win, and I would beat you up. Like he was totally serious. And I go, oh, really? And he goes, yeah. To which I take him, I grab him by his ankles, I spin him upside down, twirl him, seriously, twirl him around my head a couple times and chuck him on the couch and look at him and go, who won now, right? <laughs> You'd think he'd give up, but he's five and he's a boy, so he pops right up and goes, can we do that again? That was fun, right? <laughs> I don't mind when my five-year-old son underestimates my power, right? I can handle that, Okay. But what's, that's not dangerous. What's dangerous is when we underestimate the power of God. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what's dangerous. When we underestimate the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. When we fail to tap into that power. And that's what I want to talk to you about today is the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you about what it looks like to live a power life which happens to be the name of our confirmation ministry, by the way, but it's not just for students, it's for all of us. What does it look like to not underestimate the power of God on a daily basis? And to do that, I want to start in the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1, where you heard our Bible reading uh, for today. If you're new to the Bible, if you don't have one, grab one in the back. Acts chapter 1 is after the gospel, so it's kind of in the back fourth of your Bible. And uh, if you've got your phone, you can pull out your Bible app, lots of helpful things on there as well. So Acts chapter 1, if you're following along, Jesus has just risen from the dead. His followers are gathered together where they were told to be, and then Jesus shows up. And so essentially, Jesus' followers are saying, what do we do now? And we start in verse 7, and Jesus said, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times, the dates the Father has sent. We don't know when Jesus is coming back again. And then Jesus makes this this challenging statement, which really sets the tone for the rest of the book of Acts and really is going to set the tone for the rest of our time today. Jesus says this in verse 8. Let's read it nice and loud together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So they receive power. Everybody say power. 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 Man, you're awake this morning. What did we put in the coffee? I don't know. It's not normal Lutheran coffee. This is great, all right? So power, right? And a chapter later, 
is called Pentecost, and that's sort of the birthday of the church. And literally, they are filled with these tongues of fire come down, and they are filled with power. And this ragtag bunch of misfits ends up changing the world, and that's the book of Acts. But it's not it's anything to do with them. It's about a power that's greater than themselves. In fact, if you dig in here, that Greek word for power there in verse 8 is dunamis. Everybody say dunamis. Dunamis. You learned some Greek today. And that, there's different words. We just have one word, power. And you think about power and you're like, well, power can be used in bad ways. It can be good in good ways. This power in the Greek, lots of different words for power. Dunamis specifically refers to this, an inherent power, a power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. Some of you are like, why does that matter? Why should I care? Because it's not about you. And so often we make Christianity in our daily lives and trying to be who we want to be about us. But Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is saying, it has nothing to do with you because this power that came upon the early church and is available to us is not something that you can sort of muster up and say, I'm going to be a better Christian this year. I'm going to have a better week. I'm going to do better. No, no, no. This power is inherent to the being of God. It is God's power available to us. Paul says it this way, skipping ahead to Romans. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul said, says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. No, I don't think he got it. Let me say that again. The Spirit of God, think about this, that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That is a big deal, and that's why it's dangerous to underestimate the power of God. Because the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit has the power to change whatever circumstances that you're in, to transform us, to take that impossible situation that you're up against today and to break through. The power of God, it has the power to take those of you that are still apathetic to this whole church thing, that are maybe indifferent to Jesus or you've had a bad experience with the church or Christianity or whatever it is. That's how powerful the love of God is that when it invades and when it's poured into a human heart, it can take people that have been lukewarm or apathetic to this whole church thing their entire life and transform you into a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. Dunamis, full of power. That word dunamis, actually the root of that is where we get the English word dynamite. Okay? This is like explosive power, okay? This isn't some here's a little boost for your day power. This is dunamis. This is explosive power, full of power. Does that describe your life today? Full of power and passion and life? I'm not talking about a life of perfection or a life without pain or difficulty. I'm asking you this morning, have you tapped into the power of Jesus Christ? Because there's two ways to live. One is without power and one is with power. Reminds me of a story. This was Six, yeah, six years ago now, during our initial renovation of the, the building and the site here, we were out uh, doing some demo work out in the parking lot. And if you walk out there, there's those big uh, uh, light poles out there in the parking lot. And there was some that we were getting rid of. And there was a big concrete base out there. And so there was a bunch of us volunteers that were clearly know nothing about construction and are novices to this whole thing. And we have like our hard hats on because we look like Bob the Builder or something like that. So we're out there and we've all, there's like four or five of us guys that have never done anything like this before. And we have these giant sludge hammers and we're like, well, some guy who's, you know, in charge told us to knock this down. And so we just start wailing on this thing. And we're like, man, this thing's heavy, you know? And like, we're going at it for probably 
30, 45, it was probably 10 minutes, but it felt like an hour. We were out there just wailing on this thing, and we were sweating, and it was hot, and we're like, oh my word, we're not even making a dent in this. And then literally, what seemed like after 45 minutes or an hour, Mark, one of our general contractors for the project, comes around the corner. It was like a scene out of a movie, right, to save the day. And he comes around on this skid loader, and attached to the skid loader is this giant arm that has a massive jackhammer on the front of it. And he comes over, and he goes, hey, you guys need any help? No, we're clearly doing just fine. He comes over and he just goes, and just grinds the whole thing up in like 15 seconds. And he's like, there. And I think I said, I maybe got a little sarcastic. I looked at him and said, where have you been, right? We could have used you like 45 minutes ago, right? Because there's a huge difference between living with power and living without power. And some of you are trying to sledgehammer your way through life. There's two different versions of Christianity. Some of you are living a Christianity that says, try harder, do better, when the gospel of Jesus says, surrender. And it's in your surrendering, that's where the power is. It's opposite. In the kingdom of God, you don't man up, you don't muster up, you don't try harder to be a better follower of Jesus. You surrender and you let that dunamis, the power of the Holy Spirit, flow through you to accomplish things that you could never accomplish on your own. It's not try harder, do better. It's surrender, tap into the power. Because the reality is all of us have a person that we want to be. It's not just once a year in New Year's resolution time, but we kind of have a here in our lives and we have a there. There's the person that we are, there's the circumstances of our lives, and then there's kind of this image of the life that we want to have over here or the, the person that we want to be. And so we make goals and we make New Year's resolutions and we, we want to have a fulfilling job or to lose weight or to eat healthy or to have more joy or to exercise more, to love each other well, to have a stronger marriage, to be great parents, to have awesome friendships, to get reconnected with God. Maybe that's why some of you are here today as well. But what we forget is that lasting change doesn't come by sledgehammering our way through life. Lasting change doesn't come through making cosmetic fixes to our lives. It comes through surrender. Have you done that? Have you ever just got on your knees and said, I, I can't make my marriage work on my own? I can't, <laughs> I can't figure this parenting thing out. Jesus, I need your help, and I'm surrendering myself to you. Our finances are a mess, and they're stressful every month when we do our budget. I'm just going to surrender my money to you. I'm going to surrender my I'm going to surrender my schedule to you. God, I'm just I'm trying to find fulfillment through my job and I can't God, I I I surrender my vocation, my calling to you. Have you ever just let that go? Have you ever reached that point where you're like I I've seen about how far I can take me? Have you ever just surrendered? Those of you that are really hurting in your marriage these days, have you ever just looked at each other and said, "Why don't we just pray?" and get on our knees together instead of trying to figure this out on our own. Where do you go for help? We tap in to the power. This is what I want you to remember today. The truth is that we don't always have the power to control everything in our lives, but we always have the power to surrender. Think about that. We want to control everything. We want to control what our life is like, what our schedule is like, what people think of us, uh, what we look like, our self-image, who our friends are, what people think of us, all of that. 
You do not have the power to control. That's not the world that we live in. But we always have the power to surrender. And that's not a one-time thing, folks. That's an everyday thing. That's not a January 1st, I surrender the year to you. Now I'm going to go do my own thing. Every single day, we tap into the power by surrendering. Maybe your life is not the way you envisioned it right now. Maybe 2018 didn't go the way that you wanted it to go. But we surrender and we say, God, I'm, I'm done trying to make life work on my own. And that's not some quick, easy fix that God comes in and zaps you with success. It's a daily declaration that says, God, I'm not going to find the life that I want apart from you. I can't do it. I take one step forward and I take two steps back. I can't do it. Jesus, I need you in this year. So where does that power come from? Well, it comes from the source. And that is God's word. And that's why today at all of our campuses, we are kicking off our annual theme. But that's the reason for it is because we need the power. We can't do life on our own. And so we've got to go to the source, which is God's word. And so today we're kicking off this whole series, this annual theme called 12 Books in 12 Months. And we're doing that at all of our campuses. Every single month, we're going to dive into a different book of the Bible. Today, we're starting with Acts. And we're going to dive deep into the Bible. Why would we do that? Why would we take an entire year to focus on that? Because that's where the power is. Paul says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. He says, faith comes by hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of God. Everybody say word. Word, word to your mother, right? The word of God. Here's the deal. It is impossible to follow Jesus, to grow in your faith, and to be a healthy member of a church and not dive deep into the Bible. This is not like, well, that's for some Christians and it's not for others. I prefer it and others don't. A Christian saying that reading the Bible isn't really my thing is like somebody saying, yeah, showering, it's not really my thing. I tried it a few times and it just didn't make sense. It wasn't, I just couldn't get into it and so I'm just not going to, you know, brushing my teeth, I just can't get into it. It's just, it's for some people, they really like brushing their teeth once a month, but I'm just gonna, it's not really my thing, right? No, this is what we do. It's who we are. It's how we function daily. So why are we dedicating an entire year to putting our roots down in God's word? Because for a lot of us, we haven't tapped into the power. Some of you are like, well, John, I, I come to worship, right? I'm a Christian. That's great. Have you plugged into the power? You surrender your, yourself every single day to the power of God. A lot of us have Bibles, but they're sitting on the shelf. There was some research done just a couple years ago, so it's pretty accurate by Lifeway Research, and they interviewed thousands of Americans, believers, non-believers alike, just to get a, a balanced survey, and they found some amazing stats. Nine out of 10, 93% of Americans say they own a Bible, which is great. That's awesome. So you think like we'd all be Bible scholars, right? This is great. Uh, the average American household has not one, but four Bibles. Four Bibles. That's awesome. Unfortunately, what we discover is that owning a Bible and reading your Bible are two completely different things, right? Same survey said that only six out of 10 Americans say that they read the Bible on occasion, whatever that means, right? Down significantly from a decade ago. Get this, less than two out of 10 say that they read the Bible weekly. And this is an interesting one. They asked this question. Only one out of four American Christians completely agree with this statement, that they regularly go to the Bible to find direction and purpose for their lives. When you're hurting, when you have a big decision to make, when your kids are driving you crazy, when you're hurting in your marriage, when you have questions about your future, when you are lonely, 
When you are overwhelmed with life, where do you go? What's the first place that you turn? When you're setting goals for the future, when you're thinking about what activities you should be involved in, when you're setting your social calendar and your activities and your priorities in your week, where do you go as the first place that determines that? Oh, I, you know, I just want to make a little Facebook post and say, hey, what's everybody going to do? You know, and they take a little survey or, you know, check out Instagram, see what everybody's doing. And I'll just kind of, whatever seems popular these days, that's what I'll do. That's, and, and that's great. And that's fine. Or I'll go ask my family or my friends. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. They're just not the God that created you. And I know that's hard to get our minds around that knows you better than anybody Else. And so as you set your goals and your resolutions for the new year, we also have a big goal and resolution for the new year as well as a church for all of us that we would get to the end of 2019 and we would be biblically fluent. Not just biblically literate that we can read, but biblically fluent. Everybody say fluent. fluent. What do I mean by that? So if I said that I was fluent in Spanish, what, 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 what does that mean? That I can speak it, that I can, that, I can, that I can read it, that I can speak it, that I could, I could handle myself in a Spanish-speaking culture, right? So this doesn't make any sense at all. In high school, I took three and a half years of Spanish. Three and a half years, every single day. And to this day, all I can remember is see, si, no, and donde esta el baño, which means where is the bathroom, which is very helpful. But why am I not fluent in Spanish? Because I didn't use it, right? I didn't speak it into everyday life and everyday situations. In the same way, you are not going to be fluent in the Bible and fluent in God's word if the one time you look at it is on Sunday morning for a couple minutes when Pastor John says, open your Bibles. Oh, I forgot it this week, right? We become fluent in something when we use it every day and we're around other people that use it and we build that camaraderie and that community. We want you to become comfortable reading God's word for yourself. And that's why every week when whoever's preaching up here, we say, okay, we're going to dive into God's word. Open up your Bibles. And a lot of you just stare at me blankly. Like I'm just speaking heresy or something like open your Bible at church, right? That's why we have hundreds of them. And we give away hundreds of Bibles because I pray that when you open up your Bible on Sunday morning, that that is simply icing on the cake from what you've been doing all week. Amen. That your Bible would be so tattered and torn and fallen apart and highlighted and underlined that it's just fallen apart because you've used it so much. I pray that Sunday morning isn't the only time you get fed. Jesus says it this way. Let's read it together. Matthew 4, verse 4. Let's read this together. People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Just as you wouldn't think about going an entire week without food, why would you say, I'm going to wait a week or a month to dig into God's word, to get fed. This is really strange. It might be one of the dumbest illustrations I've ever done, but it's exciting. It's Pez, right? When's the last time you saw a Pez dispenser, right? So speaking of our preschool, uh, it was about a month ago before Christmas break. Uh, one of the little girls from our preschool here, they had just finished up with lunch, and she came up. These things are amazing. Have you seen these things? She comes up to me, and I, I, she comes up to me and goes, hey, Pastor John, do you want a Pez? And like, I had just come out of this really serious, sad counseling meeting with some people. And then I have this little girl who goes, you want some Pez? And so like, I was a little caught off guard. I was like, no, ma'am, sorry. I don't, not interested in that. Literally half an hour later, she comes up to me with the, 
the Cinderella Pez dispenser, okay? I found one of these at Walgreens, okay? She comes up with the, with the princess Pez dispenser, and she goes, now do you want a Pez? <laughs> As if somehow having something or someone dispensing it to you makes this little chunk of sugar so much more appealing, right? It was amazing. But here's the thing, and you're not going to forget this now because you're going to think about Pez. So many of us are like, we say, Hey, do you want to re read the Bible by yourself every single day at home? Do you want to study God's word? Oh, it's, oh, it's too hard to understand. I, I, sorry, I don't, that's not how I, how I get it. And then you come on Sunday morning, you're like, but Pastor John is preaching today, right? <laughs> or I'm going to listen to Francis Chan or Matt Chandler or Louis Giglio or whoever, Andy Stanley on the pod. I'm going to watch YouTube videos of sermons. Feed me, Pez Dispenser Pastor, right? Because <laughs> it just seems so much more appealing, right? We want you to read the Bible for yourself. You can do it. You don't need a dispenser. It's helpful and it is very, very, don't get me wrong, it is very important to worship weekly. It is very important to have somebody that is regularly teaching you the word of God. That's why we come every single week, right? All throughout scripture that's listed up, uh, lifted up as a priority. But not at the expense of you learning how to be a self-feeder. That's what maturity in Christ looks like. What I do here on Sundays, it should be the icing on the cake and it should be the launching pad for you to study God's word throughout the entire week to go, I want to dig deeper into Acts. There's only so much I can do in 30 or 40 minutes. But hopefully that's a catalyst for you to go deeper. Some of you are like, John, cute analogy and everything, but it's hard. I know it's hard. Some of you have tried to go through the Bible on your own, like, I'm going to read through the whole Bible in a year, right? And then you read Genesis, Exodus, you get to Leviticus, and you're like, I'd rather get a root canal. Like, what is going on, right? The Bible is hard, isn't it? And that's why we have this class, this class called CORE that's specifically designed for that. And if you are struggling with the Bible, if you've ever had a hard time understanding it, that is exactly what CORE 1 is about. It's about digging into God's Word and understanding that and learning how to apply it to your life, that it's not just a Pastor John thing on Sunday morning. You're like, I, I want by the end of this year for you to have your Bible and go, I love this book. And way more important than that, I love the Jesus that this book points me to. Because that's the point. We don't worship the Bible, right? We worship the Savior that the Bible points us to. We don't worship the pages of the Bible, right? But it's powerful. Why is it powerful? So some of you are like, John, okay, why? Why is that just, you know, you're a pastor, you get paid to say that, that's a good thing to do? It's way bigger than that. I want to give you three quick reasons to know God's word. Number one is simply this. It is literally the word of God. It is the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul is writing to his protege, Timothy, a younger man, and he says this. Let's read it together. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. God breathed. Think about that for a second. God breathed. The difference between the Bible and any other book is that the Bible is God breathed. And even books written about God are just that, words written by human authors about God. But the Bible is God's word written divinely inspired through human authors for us. The book of Hebrews puts it this way. It says, for the word of God is alive and active. It's like God breathing into your soul. No offense, but Harry Potter can't do that. The latest bestseller on the end of the aisle when you go to Target 
is never going to be able to satisfy your soul. They can't do that. Neither can they claim that their words are alive. And that brings us to the second reason. So number one, it's the literal words of God. Number two, reason to know the Bible is that you'll learn to hear God's voice. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the great shepherd and I know my sheep and they know me. They listen to my voice. This isn't some like, you know, first century Palestine agricultural analogy. Jesus is saying this is the fundamental core relationship of a follower of Jesus and me, a conversation, a conversational intimacy. They know my voice. He's always speaking. And the question is, are we listening? I can't tell you how many times I hear people ask, and every time we do a Q&A, one of the main questions is, how do I know if God's speaking to me, right? Or if I had bad pizza the night before? Like, how do I know if it's God or not? What is God's will for my life? What, how do I know God's voice? Well, the thing is, if you don't spend a lot of time talking to somebody, you don't get to know their voice. Think about the people that you talk, that you call on the phone the most, or that call you, right? Every time, like, that your spouse or your best friend or your, uh, your, your parent or your child or whoever calls you, you don't have to reintroduce yourself to them every time, right? When my wife calls me, she doesn't go, uh, hi, uh, Pastor Annenson, this is Tiffany Annenson, formerly Weir, uh, used to live in Marshalltown, we got married uh, in 2000, you know, we don't have to reintroduce ourselves to each other, right? Normally, on a good day, it's hi, honey, on a normal day, it's hey, uh, <laughs> we get that, right? Or are you coming home yet? is one of those two, she doesn't have to say who it is. Why would it be any different in your relationship with God? My, my deepest desire for you is that when you read the Bible, is that you would get to know God's character so much, is that you've learned how God's spoken in the past, and so you would know how God's going to speak into your future. That you would be able to hear God's voice and see, that's totally God. That's totally his voice. I, I, I'm recognizing his voice. I can connect with that. We study the Bible because it's the word of God, because we learn to hear God's voice. And number three, not only is it God's story, it's our story. It's easy to look at the Bible and say, you know, John, it's, a lot of you probably think it's an out-of-date history book that's going to just sit up on my shelf and collect. You probably have four of them at home if you're in those statistics, right? It's just an out-of-date history book about what God used to do. Until people start reading it and they go, whoa, this has stories about family dysfunction. I can relate to that. About husbands and wives that don't get along all the time and struggle with conflict. This, this has stories about identity and finding your purpose and taking leaps of faith and practical wisdom on all sorts of things. My favorite is when people start reading the Bible for themselves and that you, they say things like, it's like it was speaking directly to me. Like it was exactly what I needed. Almost like it was alive or something. Because it is. At a certain point, we realize we're not just reading the Bible. The Bible's reading us. The more time you spend in the Bible, it's like a mirror that stares back at you and goes, God knows me way better than I know myself. So I'm going to turn to him as my first source. And so what I want to leave you with today is we head into 2019 and we kick off a new year. I want to challenge you with three resolutions. Some of you are like, I don't do resolutions. Well, here you go anyway. Um, and these are ones that you're not going to regret. These are ones that make your resolutions, folks. Don't get me wrong. Sign up for, you know, yoga and go run a marathon and don't eat chocolate anymore. Whatever. Do those, right? Don't neglect your soul. Some of you have made all of your plans for 2019 and you're not doing anything for your soul, which is the most important thing. The God who 
created you. You were created to look like Jesus. I love how author Bob Goff puts it. He says this, Our problem in following Jesus is that we're trying to be a better version of us rather than a more accurate reflection of him. Some of you are like, I want to be the best me. I want to be the best version of myself. You want to know what the best version of you is? The version of you that looks the most like Jesus. You're not going to find satisfaction and fulfillment by trying to be better. You're going to find satisfaction and fulfillment by living into the way that God created you, that when he looks at you, he wants to see a man or woman that looks more and more like Jesus every single day. That's the best version of you. Remember, our goal in these resolutions is not to be happy or to be a better person. It's to look more like Jesus. So how do we do that? Number one, you worship weekly as a family. You schedule the things that are important in your life. You lock it in. We have worship services on Tuesday night, on Saturday night, and two on Sunday morning. There are classes and groups all throughout the week. You worship weekly. You are created for it. Worship's not about what you can consume out of it. Worship is about what you bring. And we're better as a church when you're here. And bring the entire family. If you've got kids, if you've got students, model for them, this is what followers of Jesus do. You come every single week. So worship weekly. Number two, you find a group or a class and you study the Bible. What we forget is that for thousands of years, before we sort of Americanized Christianity, reading the Bible was done in community. Nobody could read or write, so they did it orally. It was done in community with other people. And some of you get so frustrated and lonely because you're trying to do the Christian life alone. Read the Bible together. Men's groups, couples groups, women's groups. Get into core. Find your group. And number three, a daily quiet time. A DQT. Tap into the power with your own Bible. In fact, our ushers and greeters are going to be standing out in the lobby with stacks of free Bibles today. And if you do not have a Bible... If every week when I get up here and preach and I say, open up your Bible to Acts chapter 1, and you don't have a Bible, today is your day. Nobody leaves this church today without a Bible. Grab one in the back. We will get more of them. We will order more of them. I'd like to see that entire bookshelf gone so that nobody doesn't have a Bible. And then you bring it every single week. We schedule what's important to us, and so put your daily time in your schedule. I, would, I, I know. I, I am the most anti-morning person ever. But I've become a morning person, and I love it because that's the first thing I do every day. I've got a meeting at 6 o'clock every single morning. Somebody, oh, you want to meet us? Sorry, I can't. I, I got a meeting. Who is it with? Somebody way more important than you. No, I don't say that. <laughs> I got a meeting with God every single morning, and I don't break that meeting because that's the most important meeting in my day. If you need ideas, we have daily Bible readings that are online and all of that. You can get all of that. Find a Bible. Find a time to read it. I'm reminded of the power of spending time with God. You know, Bailey here is here today from Riverside and hanging out with the kiddos up top. I was a camper and a counselor at Riverside for many years, and I'm honored to be on the board of directors there now. And a couple months ago, we were reviewing summer evaluations that parents and kids fill out, and we were particularly looking at the kids' ones. We were going through those as a board, and one of the questions on there was to all the kids, this is, uh, this is third grade all the way up through high school, what was your favorite part of camp? What was your favorite part of camp? Now think about this, okay? I know it's not the most ritzy place in the world. Riverside is on the banks of the mighty Skunk River. <laughs> okay? But, like Bailey said, they've got a swimming pool and a climbing wall and paintball and, and a camp store and all the candy you could ever... I mean, this is like heaven for kids, right? Everything they could ever want. All these... I mean, they've got Oreo fluff for dessert, okay? 
everything that a kid could want. You want to know what the number one answer was for most kids about their favorite part of the week? God time. The 15 or 20 minutes that they have right before lunch where it is them, a piece of grass, a piece of the lawn, and their Bible. Did I mention that the entire week they go without their phones and they survive? You see these third graders coming in addicted to their phones and by the end of the week, they love the Bible. Number one, God time. Number two, favorite part of the week, worship. Because they're craving it. And you are too. We are too as adults. We just get so distracted. And so parents, grandparents, model it for them at home. Read God's word together as a family. Let them see you with your Bible open way more than your apps open. Model it for them of what that looks like. Bring it. We're all going to bring our Bibles. We're not leaving the house for worship until we've got our Bibles. Tap into the power of God's word. If we're going to go anywhere this year, if you're going to live with purpose and power, you're going to need some power behind you, and you can't do that without the power of God's word. You're going to need some power behind you, and nobody knows that better than the crew of Apollo 13. Remember this scene in Apollo 13? That Apollo 13's taken off. There is a significant amount of power. Yes, it's really, really cool. And Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks didn't actually go to space. He's in the thing, right? We think, oh, it's all the, they have nothing to do with it. They are along for the ride. You want to know what catapults them into space? Power. Dunamis. Dynamite. Explosive power. So as you watch this final scene, consider what it would look like to have that kind of power in your life. Houston, we have liftoff. Some of you are like, whoa, that's so cool. That's what God wants to do in your soul this year. That's the kind of power, that's the dunamis, the explosive power that you can tap into every single day as a follower of Jesus. Don't go one step further into this new year without tapping into the life-changing power of Jesus Christ that is available to every single one of you today. Lutheran Church of Hope, we have liftoff for 2019. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for Holy Communion.